The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived, and the People's Podcast is here with the return of one of my favorite guests, Megadeth frontman, guitar legend, Dave Mustaine, will be here returning to talk as Jericho. Actually, I took a road trip all the way out to Seal Beach, California, to meet up with Dave uh, at the uh, brand new Affliction Studios, run by my good friend Jose Mangan of Sirius XM. He has opened up this really wicked, uh, cool Affliction clothing store slash DJ area slash studio uh, slash uh, home of the Megadeth Dystopia album release party. Very, very cool setup there down in Seal Beach, California. Great place for bands to hang out and perform. Jose's got this place all tricked out. It's going to be a cool, cool destination venue. Uh, It's in between uh, Los Angeles and Anaheim. Very, very, very um, great work from my good friend Jose. So you got to check that out. They got a pool table. They got beers. They got affliction gear. Uh, But Dave and I were drinking some Megadeth wine. As a matter of fact, Blood of Heroes. You'll hear all about how to make wine uh, from Dave. Dave is also going to play a little fact or fiction with me. Fact or fiction. Pantera's Dimebag, Daryl, and Vinnie Paul were almost in Megadeth. True or false? You'll find out. Um, There will be more Big Four shows. True or false? You'll find out. Here's another one. Slash was at one point going to be the second guitar player in Megadeth. Fact or fiction? Dave will answer all of these legendary rumors or truths. He's going to talk about the big four. He's going to talk about making dystopia, about new guitar player Kiko Larrero. We're going to talk about Glenn Campbell, uh, Alzheimer's. So many amazing, uh, interesting... uh, You can't talk to Dave Mustaine and not have an interesting conversation. So check it out. It's coming up. And if you haven't subscribed to Talk is Jericho yet on iTunes, this conversation with Mr. Dave Mustaine should be enough to convince you if you subscribe. You'll never miss an episode. You'll never have to remember to go download or stream it. Talk is Jericho will be waiting for you every Wednesday and Friday morning like clockwork on your device automatically delivered. Doesn't get any easier than that, so go do it. And while you're subscribing on iTunes, take a minute and leave us a five-star rating and comment. I love your feedback. I need your feedback. It helps with the uh, the uh, sponsorships and the viewerships and the credibility and the, uh, the expansion 
expansiveness. We want to get this show to expand. And if you subscribe and leave a five-star rating, you can help out Talk is Jericho. All right. It's been a big week. Uh, my return to the WWE in a wrestling capacity in the Royal Rumble. You can call me the 51-minute man. That's right. I was in the Rumble for 51 minutes. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. And uh, it's it's an interesting um, kind of psychology when you're in the ring for that long. And I know sometimes uh, people think, oh, you just sit in the corner for the whole time. Well, the Royal Rumble is based around spotlights. When someone comes in, they get a spotlight. When certain angles happen, there's a spotlight. When there's certain eliminations that happen, there's a spotlight on that. So a lot of times if you see somebody sitting in the corner doing the uh, the typical punch, kick, you know, choke someone with your foot, it's because you're basically just staying out of the way. And um, when you do that, you're kind of a background performer. Now, if someone's watching you the whole time, it's going to look like, oh, he's just sitting down doing nothing. But that's kind of the, the, the concept of what you're doing. And then when it's time for your spotlight, you get back in there again. So, so to be, I think this is the, fir- the third rumble that I've been in for like 45 minutes or longer. Um, I think in 2003, I was in there for a long time. In 2013, I was in there. But this is my longest rumble appearance, which is a great spotlight. And it was really cool. I mean, the, the elimination of Kofi Kingston was hilarious. If you saw that in the replay, I drop kicked him from the second rope and hit him in the face when he, had, he was eating a bag of popcorn <laughs> while he was sitting on Big E's shoulders. And the popcorn went everywhere. And, of course, the uh, confrontation with Triple H and the confrontation with Ambrose and all the stuff that we did towards the end. But I think the big buzz of the night and one of the big, huge surprises was the uh, debut of AJ Styles in the WWE, which was a huge, huge um, get for us. We've been waiting to have him for a long time, one of the hottest free agents in the uh, in the world today, finally in the WWE. And it was really cool because the first night in the Rumble, I came in the ring, and him and Reigns were the only ones in there. All three of us just kind of stood there, and it was a really good buzz. Had a cool little high spot. AJ popped me. Had some uh, nice blood coming out of my nose, which is always cool and get really into it when you get a little little bleeding happening. And then, of course, we worked the next night on Raw, which was another surprise. And when it was pitched to me, it was pitched to me one way, and then I had an idea to kind of go another way. So um, hopefully if things keep going the way that we hope, you might see another uh, another Jericho Styles match, so we'll see. But definitely great performer, and it's always hard. You come into the WWE. I mean, he's the end, uh, New Japan World Champion, you know, and then also uh, Ring of Honor. Like you know, he's known as one of the best performers in the entire planet. But when you come into the WWE, you're basically starting from scratch. And I know you guys know that we've talked about this before, and also a lot of people. I might have seen him around, but a lot of people might not know him at all. So when he comes in the dressing room, it's it's. I felt a little bit uh, not bad for him, but I understood what he was going through because he shows up there when we're having the meeting for the Royal Rumble because he was probably hiding all day or whatever it was, and he comes into the meeting and he knows some people, but he's standing in the back and kind of being quiet and doesn't want to step on anybody's toes. But he's going to do great in the WWE. It just takes a you know a month or two of just acclimating to the different way that we do things, which is different from New Japan, which is different from Ring of Honor, which is different from TNA, and as far as character and. Uh, interview skills and all that sort of stuff. He's going to hone in on all of those things in actual matches themselves. So, And a little known fact is that uh, the two of us have never stepped in the ring before. We have never locked up. Uh, in the Rumble was the first time, and then, and then the match we had on Raw was the first time we'd ever had a singles match. So um, I was actually really happy with it. It was fun. It was a lot of fun to get in there with a new guy and kind of suss each other out a bit. And 
now it can only, you know, it only it'll only get bigger um, and 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 more intense as as we go forward. So. I think it was a really cool debut. I think the Royal Rumble this year was tremendous. The actual Royal Rumble itself, that match, they're always so much fun because there's there's so many different elements and things going on and um, you know spotlights like I mentioned earlier and our truth with the ladder and Brock Lesnar, you know, just destroying the Wyatt family but then getting thrown out and then you know all everything kind of fits together in a certain way. And as we start the road to WrestleMania, who's going to be wrestling who? You know, what programs are there going to be? And you can start to kind of suss it out. You can start to kind of see it uh, and and figure out, okay, well, these guys will probably be working together. Are these guys going to be working together? It's an exciting time of year. You know, it's it's January all the way through to, to April when you get that real cool feeling. It's like the playoffs are starting now, you know. The WWE playoffs are starting, and who's going to make it to the final? Who's going to be eliminated? And like I said, there's always so many surprises and cool things happening. Monday Night Raw, Jericho versus AJ, first time ever, and then The Rock comes back and talks for like 25 minutes, which nobody else could do. Nobody else could get away with it, but uh, that's The Rock. It's just a really exciting time, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm back in the WWE right now, and, and I'm happy that AJ Styles is here. He's got great timing. He's got great uh, offense that's a little bit different. He's very crisp, obviously, from having that Japanese uh, style behind him. But like I said, it's just a matter of learning. you, you got to learn everywhere you go what exactly is it that you want to do and that you want to try and do uh, within the company that you're in. And WWE is different from every other com- company as far as the work style and as far as how we do things. And um, But like I always say too, once you get over, you'll always be able to figure out how to get over. So I have no doubt AJ Styles is going to be over big time in the WWE. He already is just from his fans that he's got. But there's a lot of people that have never heard of AJ Styles and don't know who he is or what he brings to the table. And at the Royal Rumble, we let them know a little bit, and, and we'll let them know a little bit more on, on Raw. You know, I love people who are like, you know, Jericho said, welcome to the big leagues, kid. He's been in TNA. Listen, I agree. He's been all over the world. But the WWE is the big leagues. That's the truth. It's not being arrogant or being uh, dismissive of his past, but the WWE is the big league. It's where everybody wants to be if you're in the wrestling business. And I don't care what you say. Everybody wants to be in the WWE because this is the big leagues. This is the big time, the biggest pro wrestling company in the world ever in front of the biggest stages, the biggest the, the biggest crowds, the most worldwide influence. You go from being a worldwide a hot free agent independent star and in two nights more people know who AJ Styles is right now than they did for the entire uh, 15 years of his career up to it so that's not demeaning that's just the truth and if you don't like it then you're just living in dreamland because nothing beats being in the WWE okay so I'm excited to have AJ Styles I'm excited that uh, Wrestlemania is coming up I'm excited to see what uh, all the storylines go and all the surprises that are about to take place so hold on to your hats the roller coaster ride's about to begin this is the big time and I'm also excited on having my old friend Dave Mustaine such a great interview great great interview always a such an intelligent guy very sarcastic and just a, an amazing guitar player and songwriter and the new Megadeth record just Dystopia. If you haven't heard it yet and you like Megadeth, you like rock and roll, check it out. I was talking to Slash about it. I said it's maximum riffage 
And he's like, uh, I said, no, Riffage, Ma- Riffage Maximus. And he's like, absolutely, that's Megadeth for you. These riffs are harder and heavier than ever. And Dave is amazing today. He's coming back to talk as Jericho. Uh, but first, one of the reasons why I'm able to have him on this show is because of my great sponsors, including DDP Yoga and the DDP Yoga Now app. All right, If you haven't downloaded DDP Yoga Now app, you need to. This is the perfect time. I got the DDP Yoga app on my phone. I've been doing my DDP Yoga workouts right from my phone. I finally uh, can put my old DVD play. It's not even old. I got a MacBook and you can't even put DVDs in it anymore. So I had to buy this little DVD attachment. What a waste of time. It's like, why do I even have this thing? Like, get out of the 90s, Jericho. And DDP's helped me do that with this new app. I don't have to lug around the DVDs. All of the workouts are on the app. Plus, I get access to live workouts from the DDP Yoga Performance Center. Very cool stuff. Very intense workouts that make me feel uh, in better shape in better shape every single day. Uh, You guys know how much I believe in DDP Yoga. You know my DDP Yoga story and what Dallas did for me in my career. That's why he's given you guys such a great deal on DDP Yoga. You go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. And then you purchase the DDP Yoga um, uh, workout for yourself. You also get three free months of the DDP Yoga Now app. That's three months. That is an amazing deal. Three months for free. I said for free. You get access to the workouts. You get recipes. You get cooking shows. Tools to help you track your progress. You earn rewards through uh, throughout the app to redeem for cool prizes and DDP Yoga swag. That means the more workouts you do, the more points you get. You take those points, you redeem them for prizes. Who else is going to do that? Only DDP. Listen, if it's motivation you need to get started, then check out all of the amazingly inspirational videos that Dallas and his crew put together. You can see all of these transformation stories at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. You won't believe the success story. So get started on DDP Yoga today. It's one of the best decisions you can make for your health, all right? Take advantage of this special offer. Get the lowest price for DDP Yoga and three free months of access to the DDP Yoga Now app by going to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Remember, over the last uh, couple days, 51 minutes in the Royal Rumble, then 14 minutes the next night with AJ Styles. That's 65 minutes of wrestling, okay, in two days at uh, 45 years old, all right? I'm in the best shape of my life. It's actually funny. Someone's like, Jericho's fat. He looks like he's pregnant. I'm like, geez, I'm the only fat guy in the world with a six-pack of abs. I'm looking at them right now. They look great, thanks to DDP Yoga. Only guy in the world that can do 65 minutes in a wrestling ring in two days, and that's all because of DDP Yoga, right? You are going to love this. You're going to love this this app but don't take my word for it read the incredible reviews it's getting on both ios and android don't miss out on the exclusive ddp yoga offer at ddpyoga.com slash jericho for you sexy beast listeners of talk is jericho you get the best price on ddp yoga plus three free months of the ddp yoga now app or it's going to change your life get started today ddpyoga.com slash jericho so we're uh, in the midst of this um, uh, major giant affliction complex with our good friend Jose Mangan hooked us up with Dave Mustaine, my old pal, my old chum. And uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool time for you. Not only is it like NAM time, which is super crazy, 
new album as well. So you're just going to have you have a crazy week with all the publicity mm. and press and shaking hands and kissing babies that you have mm. to do. Is that something that you uh, enjoy doing? Uh, shaking babies and kissing hands? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Shake them damn babies. <laughs> yeah. This is actually really exciting for us. It's a, it's a great period for us. It's kind of like a renaissance, uh, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a... Uh, lineup change that brought in some new inspiration and I think that uh, just a lot of different changes you know we try and always you know take whatever's thrown at us and turn it into something good you know if not you just might as well just curl up and die Mm -hmm. so a lot of those things you know we either looked at it like okay well we're doing something wrong and this is you know the correct way to do it and and recover and apply or realize that we were doing it right in the first place and double down so this is the time where you know you get into um the last couple of moments before the record comes out that's where most people peter out you know they mm-hmm. they give up and and we have been just relentless with telling people about the tracks and word of mouth the whole grassroots movement it's been really great well you have to do that nowadays though mm-hmm. it's not like it was you know 20 years ago where you just put the record out and sit back like now you have to mm-hmm. beat the bushes and hammer the pavement to to get the word out mm-hmm. there well you know true that but you also if you wanted to um, have any longevity uh, 20 years ago actually um, a little bit more than that was when my countdown came out and I remember sitting in, in uh, at the tower Capitol mm-hmm. pounding phones calling college radio so it's just as much as you love your fans how willing you are to go to any lengths to speak to them you know do you want to talk to a KXLU a college station in, in LA here do you want to talk to you know a KNAC do you want to talk to a teeny little station uh, or you know a fanzine or something like that or are you too big for that mm-hmm. I had learned to sing along time ago i thought was brilliant if you're too big to fly in coach you're too small to fly in first class (laughs) so i thought hey you know what that's great because you know i think a lot of us we really remember where we come from but uh sometimes success can really get you off that path Mm. and it's funny i was telling somebody the story the other day i was in spain and sharon had come up to me and she goes you know dave there's only one person in the whole metal scene that was uh not salt of the earth like all of us hmm. as well, I know exactly who you're talking about but I'm going to pretend I don't know <laughs> <laughs> so, and the truth of the matter is you take away that little uh, that variable in the equation you know we, we are working class you know we're like the Johnny Cash's of the metal scene you know mm-hmm. what we do you mm-hmm. know appealing to the blue-collared workers and stuff like that. Well, I think it's something, too, especially with with rock and roll, is that uh, you never forget that you're a fan. Mm. We're all fans. Mm-hmm. And I think... I like. I, I never say no to press. Mm. You know, and if it's if it's myself, I'll figure out a way to do it. If mm. it's the band, I'll get someone else to do it. Because, like you said, if it's Johnny's basement college mm. fanzine, hey, man, if I was 15 and I had my own mm. fanzine and I got to talk to Dave Mustaine, I mean, that, that makes you not just a fan for right. life, but a... A soldier, right? You'll go. Right. You'll go to field marshal out there, yeah. Right. Absolutely. You'll go to the wall for for these guys that treated you with respect. Mm-hmm. And you're quite active on social media. I find mm-hmm. social media is perfect for that. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I think you have these said field marshals that you're talking about out there reconnoitering the field and uh, doing assessment of the battlefield. And just like Sun Tzu had said in the Art of War, sometimes you don't. 
approach your enemy head-on. You have to flank them. With the way that the industry's changed so much with peer-to-peer file transferring and, and you know, with uh, the pirating has always been an issue. You know, mm-hmm. people will copy stuff, but I think because of the ease and comfort that people were able to duplicate stuff like that, where it kind of got out of control. But I, I think that um, when you look at now the way that the technology is you really have to stay at the cutting edge with how you how you reach the audience and it's not just by putting product in their pockets you have to earn their loyalty by planting a seed inside of them this is my band and no one is going to take them away they may have a bad song they may even have a bad record but no one will take away the place that that band's you know earned in my heart and and that's probably the difference between people who have been doing this kind of music for 30 plus years and who have not right and you always get like you mentioned the longevity like if you're a big kiss fan there was you know the elder mm-hmm. and if you're a big maiden fan there was you know the x factor whatever mm-hmm. it may be we but, all have them but you all have them, right you can't hit a thousand percent every every time mm-hmm. it's just not well there's got to be the head of the snake and the tail of the snake it can't all be the head you know that, one way how do you mean well, one record has to be your best, and one has to be your worst. Right. I mean, you yeah, know, if yeah. anybody go, in, unless you were brought up in like one of those short bus school situations, you see the way that the little post goes up, and the rings are different colors, and they graduate and they get smaller <laughs> as they go. Things have purpose and numbers and stuff like that. I wasn't insinuating you, by the way. I'm talking no, about no, no. you know, sure. I wouldn't, wouldn't be that rude. The thing is, is Shut that up, you know, our <laughs> our business is made up of. Uh, a whole number system and and it's you know people say well there's no competition in music the hell if there ain't Mm -hmm. you know you tell that to the engineers that sit up all night long so that they can get the song done in time to get it turned in so that it can get released and try and get those bds reports and you know Mm -hmm. there's there's so much behind the scenes that the average music listener doesn't realize and our job has exponentially become much more difficult because we've had one of our uh, income streams taken away but if you're playing music because because you love music, um, having that income stream taken away from you, you probably won't notice. And if you're living within your means, then uh, and and you are successful, that happiness is going to emanate from the inside out and you know you're going to be happy with what you got and fans are going to see that you know when you're i was just saying something to somebody earlier today uh a lot of bands when they make a lineup change that first record with the new lineup's great it's the honeymoon but then towards the end you know things sour and and that's how it is with just about anybody and i think that when you're in a new relationship especially musically because musically is so passionate that it um that magic that you have when you're first together, the discovery of, you know, like a, a synchronized swimming or, or you know, like <laughs> doing any kind of katas or wazas or, you know, sparring and stuff like that. You know, you have to count on your partner. We have a team element. Yeah, you absolutely do. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it, it, there's, there's a story behind this, so I'm going somewhere with this. But we're here on the West Coast, but you have a place here, but you also have moved to Nashville as well. Right. And we had a show in Nashville. We were playing with Theory of a Dead Man. Mm. And after the show was done, and someone was like, hey, Dave Mustaine is downstairs looking for you. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And I went downstairs, and you were hanging out in the dressing room. You said, hey, I just wanted to come by and say hi. And I was mm. like, what are you doing here? And you're mm-hmm. like, I live in Nashville now. But it was like the most random, funny meeting. I'm like, why didn't you just tell me you are coming? Like, mm-hmm. I just wanted to come by and say hi. Yeah. But we were talking, and you said something very interesting to me. And this was before before the lineup changed, before Sean and, and Chris left. You said, you know, 
there's no reason for me to write songs to try and get played on the radio. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did with, with Super Collider and a couple other records. It's not what we are. It's not who I am. I'm going to write something that's more what I want to do. Mm-hmm. It's more Megadeth. And I think that this record, Dystopia, you definitely did that. Was was there a, a, a mindset for that? Is it just where you were in your career? Because it's it's some crazy great stuff. Seriously. Thanks. Thank I mean, you I really, much. I'm not just like everyone's going to say that, but to me this probably after 10 listens is my favorite Megadeth record since Rust Thanks. Peace. Thanks. Honestly. Well, you know your opinion matters to me because, you know, we are friends. And, yeah, and absolutely. And that, that does matter a lot to me. I think going into doing this record, there was so much stuff that was going on in my personal life. You know, I'm an emoter. I have always tried to put what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking uh, into art form so that our fans can be educated by it. Our first records, we used lyrics that had words that you had to look them up. I always wanted to educate our fans so they would impart some kind of wisdom on the fans, uh, enriching their word power somehow. And, and I think that... Um, Give me alchemy. I had to look up. What's alchemy? Yeah, like anisophobia <laughs> and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. So uh, anyways, God, I completely got off the subject. Sorry. Yeah, you were talking about using bigger words on your earlier records. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, anyways, um, the the thing that motivated me the most on this record, uh, I think, going back to your previous question, is like, you know, what is it? Is the the drive that gets you there? You know, we had so many things that were going wrong uh, at the time. You know, Pam's mother-in-law had uh, had. Uh, Alzheimer's and watching her die in front of us uh, was a very long and very painful process and then when she went missing and uh, we couldn't find her for two months and ultimately we found her she'd fallen off of a cliff that really challenged our family and you had a management change and you had another management change and you had some stuff going on with our crew and then Ellison had uh, said something and it got out to Sean and, and to Chris that the fans want the Rest in Peace lineup reunion and those guys got hurt and quit and everybody blamed me and thank God Dave was man enough to say that you know it was my idea I wanted the Rest in Peace reunion and you know we gave it a good college try too it just wasn't meant to be did you actually jam with, with those guys played with Nick we tried to do Rattlehead three times and we couldn't get through the chorus mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. chorus and, and he had had a physical injury to his arm and uh, I he had told me about that and I knew that uh, he was having some problems with his playing ability because of what I'd seen online so I was open minded to it and I thought you know the tour would be great we'll do the tour not the record the record mm-hmm. was always me looking at somebody who was going to be you know uh, somebody who was going to keep the franchise going in the right trajectory and not necessarily going backwards and certainly not for nostalgia and, and stepping downward to pursue some nostalgia mm-hmm. so we had talked about a couple drummers that were uh, at, at the tip of the spear so to speak in, in drum land and uh, you know everyone had their strong points and their weak points my god I played with Gar Samuelson and Vinny Cagliuto two of the greatest mm. jazz drummers there are so you know a rock drummer to me is something that's very elementary not disrespectful or any way like that so when it came down to looking at these drummers, I looked with a totally different set of eyes because I write drum parts to myself. I don't know how to play drums very well, but you know I had to play them a little bit. And so looking for a drummer was was real simple. Adler was so simple to pick, and then getting Kiko was something that was a little bit harder because 
you know, I look for three things in, in a musician. I look for attitude, ability, and and um, appearance. You know, because I mean, you know, you you've got to have that it's, that whole show business package. You got to be developed. Yeah. 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 Well, the thing is, to me, and first of all, to, to just want to mention some of what we said about Adler. Did, had you toured with Lamb of God? Yeah. So you, he was already on your radar. You'd watched him play and just said, "This yeah, guy's." We did a gigantor with him, I think, in '06 or '05. So he's the guy that you thought of, like, "Wow, it'd be great to have him involved." In the Actually, band. you know what? I it didn't. It didn't even dawn on me. Somebody had said something, and it was just like oh, that kind of a thing, you know, mm. like, "Hey," because the obvious decision was Lombardo, but you know, it's not going to. Is that too much of of a stunt casting, as they would I say? Think because, well, you know, there there's uh, several reasons why it should be Dave and why it should not, and I, I think that um, the shoulds were very legitimate, and the should nots were equally as legitimate. So, you know, when you have to convince yourself somebody's right for the part, they're usually not. And um, and it wasn't that Dave isn't a great drummer; he's one of the best. I agree. You know, he's one of the best yeah, there is. I agree. But we have a very staid, solid, repetitive pattern to the songs that are the same way, and the fans want them that way because of the articulation and the, and the it's you know it's polyrhythms with the the drum stuff. It's syncopated polyrhythms, and when the drums get off and the guitars pedaling and riffing and jumping strings and stuff like that, and it gets off like that, it turns into a train wreck. The drums are locked in with your rhythms. Then it has to be. Then it's fantastic. It right. sounds like you know an air raid. Mm-hmm. But for Kiko Larrero, like. I'm a huge anger fan, mm. and I have been since 1994. I discovered mm. him when I was in Japan. Mm. And uh, Angels Cry and Holy War and all of this, this lineage of, 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 of great tunes. Mm. So when I heard that you got him, I think I might even text, like, dude, this is the guy. Mm. But it's almost, it's such a, like, a great choice, but just out of nowhere. How did yeah. he get on, on your radar? You see, you're, again, why I respect your opinion about our songs is because you are, are not just somebody who is in... in the entertainment world and the music world and, mm-hmm. and, and just here by, you know, credo of your other uh, career. Yeah. You know, you really are a musician and you really do love what you do. And, and knowing Kiko, you know, I'd taken a picture with him for Burn Magazine eight years ago and I forgot who he was. <laughs> so he goes like, hey Dave, you know, we did a picture together eight years ago for Burn Magazine. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, we're in the cover. And I was like, Oh shit! I forgot. <laughs> and I remember when it happened. I saw him, and I was like, "I don't want this kid on cover with me, man. I fight hard enough as it is to get covers, <laughs> yeah. you know." Because I mean, that's the nature of the business. Yeah. There's only so many. And covers that's the biggest a year. rock magazine in Japan. Burn yeah, magazine, yeah, yeah. So they said they want him, and I figured, you know, what? these guys aren't dummies. There's got to be a reason for him. And um, I talked to him a little bit, and I found him very engaging and and very, uh, very, very nice guy to talk to, mm-hmm. but. Did, did not leave an impression on me because I didn't think that I was going to ever cross paths with him again. So when the thing came down to the attitude, appearance, ability thing, we had a list of a whole bunch of people. I knew Chris was the guy, hired him to do the sessions. And, and you know, he's not in Megadeth. He's in Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. He's helping us. So just to make that clear, the thing with Kiko was... I looked at list after list after list, and these guys either had the ability... And they would flop in the appearance or, you know, they would have the appearance and they wouldn't have the ability. I remember I saw this one guy and he was supposed to be the fastest guy in the world or the fastest guy in America. And I listened to him play and, and his playing was uh, otherworldly. It was so magnificent. 
but he was covered in tats, and mm-hmm. his hands had flames on his hands. And I thought, oh, no. I, you know, I'm so fast my hands burst into flames kind of thing. <laughs> that joke would probably come out in the bust a couple times, and it would get old real quick. And I think that, you know, um, people would give him a hard time. I know mm-hmm. our crew is very sarcastic, and, and so we tend to kind of go with people who are very unassuming and very dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the quiet ones you have to watch out for. Yeah, the toughest guys in the room never brag about being mm-hmm. tough. Yeah, yeah. what do they say? Dogs with no teeth bark the loudest, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Benny taught me that one. <laughs> uh, so anyways, um, I, I saw a couple guys, they were great, and then I saw a couple guys, they were, you know, they, they uh, almost got to the point where it was them but it was something like one guy's too young or one guy lives away and he can't tour that much and you know i mean in order to get a tour bus with you know seven eight guys you know and disappear for a month that takes some chutzpah because you've got to not only one tolerate people but be tolerable yourself Mm -hmm. you know and and then you've got to go up against that the, the world out there you know it's it's uh you know literally you and your group against the world because mother nature has a wicked sense of humor and stuff happens on the tour yeah so always anyways when uh, the last thing that made me made my decision with kiko was i saw this video and he was playing guitar with a, another guitar player i knew that i respected and just demolished him and i was like wow it's the first thing i saw of him because i didn't know his name I clicked on the link i saw him and i was just like <laughs> that's the guy oh my god <laughs> and you know like what you probably were saying laughing a little bit chuckling knowing you know me you know my band you know our music and you know kiko obviously way better at the time than i did when mm-hmm. i hired him so you knew how perfect the fit was because he's passionate about what he does well and you can see that and, and um and like i said his his pedigree is, is tremendous because mm-hmm. those records great great stuff yeah but so and you've been through this so many times before. When you say, okay, Kiko, we want you to have the job, what's the, what's the process? Do you guys go out for a drink? Do you hang out and go to the movies? Because like, you just said once something very, very uh, important that a lot of people that aren't in bands won't understand. He's a great player. He fits in perfectly musically. You get on the bus, and the guy, you know, he's a dick. Mm. And that's not going to last. Yeah. How, how do you mm-hmm. suss that out, or do you have to take a little bit of faith and take a chance? Well, see, that's one of the problems that have happened with a couple of our alumni there was the personal side where it kind of rubbed with other people in the organization and and you know those things do happen i think the thing with kiko that made him probably so uh um, desirable was the ease and comfort at which i did audition him because you know i had uh broderick come down knew he was a great player spent a little time with him and then just you know kind of said okay let's do this but you know um didn't really like sit down one-on-one and talk with the guy we were building a a gym at my house of all things you know (laughs) uh so with kiko he came out and and i sat down we drove around we talked one-on-one for for hours we went and had lunch and and uh was talking to him about nashville and what i like and what i don't like a little bit about the band and so on and so forth and and the phone rings at my house and and uh um I said, I'll be right back. And, and he hasn't played a note yet. And I hear him pick up an acoustic and start playing with my other ear while I'm on the phone. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's like Andre Segovia on steroids. Mm. Hang up the phone. I go back in there and I said, you know what? We got to do something like eruption or like uh, D or like um, 
Spanish fly or something really brilliant that just showcases that that, uh, Latin flair because when Megadeth is played acoustically, it takes on a very Latin element that works for us acoustically. It's not like, you know... uh, for lack of a better band to say ACDC acoustically would still have that rock boogie sound to it whereas with us it takes on a different element and it works so him coming in there was such a natural fit the passion the bands the scales that he would do the exotic note selection stuff like that and, and he's a he's a hell of a nice guy too mm-hmm. he's also um, I mean you mentioned anger they're from Brazil mm. they used a lot of like Brazilian percussion a lot of piano yeah he was a great plant piano player mm. I mean, I'm assuming that probably most of the songs were written when you got them, but did he bring any of that kind of flair into into what you're doing? Not really. Um, you know, we have talked about certain things to a degree. We did something on PledgeMusic.com, and, and uh, you know, Kiko has a great sense of humor. It's very, very, very youthful at heart, and I was studying the console and looking at the Pro Tools rig and working on something really hard. It was me and him in the studio alone. Um and uh, I think, uh, well, except for the cameraman, and and um, so he goes, "Hey, I've, I've got this idea for a solo." He's like, "Okay," and he starts playing reggae, and I just went <laughs> sneer, and I just looked at him like, "I'm working. What are you doing?" You know, and and that's just him being playful, you yeah, know, and, yeah, yeah. and and I love that because he sensed that things were getting a little bit, you know, uh, hyperbolic in there, and and we needed to kind of. Light things up a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, as far as him contributing with the songwriting and stuff, I think he probably would have done more if asked. But um, due to the nature of our project, there's a requirement of how much music I need to write, which is boring as old people having sex, and your listeners don't want to hear about that. <laughs> so I won't. But old people having sex, yeah. please no. Um, so. Uh, but he did write as much as as he wanted to, mm-hmm. and I think that it's going to be great for us. You know, uh, the Megadeth catalog has so many different twists and turns over the years where we've gone and, and how the band's expressed itself with songs that are... Uh, a little bit more European in flair, a little bit more English in flair, a little bit more American in flair with the kind of a rock influence that it would have. But it still always stayed in that heavy metal, mm-hmm. you know, the auspice. So um, I think this record really went back to like what you were saying, back to yeah. like the new wave of British heavy metal really hard, really riff oriented. And, and uh, Kiko's music is not something I'm really familiar with, but he picked it up like a, you know, like it was second nature Tim playing so you don't go back and, and check out an anger record and see you just watching him and going this is all I need to hear I saw enough to know that that's all I wanted to see as far as like bringing you know Brazilian music uh, stuff that's national or indigenous to where he's from like, yeah that will yeah you know that's not gonna I fit I mean if the dude was an Aussie would I have a diggery do in the song <laughs> No, you, that would be huge. No, and yeah. you could play it live. <laughs> okay, right, whatever. <laughs> but you know, there are some really wonderful things with timings and that tribal thing where you do stuff where it's, you know, just just not the normal time signatures, and and you add something on a push or a pull or an upbeat or a downbeat or something that is in out of the norm of what a normal mm-hmm. rock loop is and that changes everything you know um uh max uh cavalera uses this crazy um mm. instrument i can't remember what it's called but uh it's this 
um, God, what's it called? It's a crazy stringed instrument that he used in Sepultura, and and it worked for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We may we may venture into doing that because we've used a lot of different stringed instruments. One of the things I loved about Led Zeppelin was when you listen to the songs completely, there was a color wheel there that just it was expansive. You could see all of the different depths of the horizon wherever you looked whatever the song was you knew you were experiencing something sonically but it had this 3d proportion and and a lot of other bands they get into you know this whole colorization and, and with their music and they don't explore anything mm-hmm. they don't have weird time signatures yeah. they don't have uh different uh guitar layerings and we did that i was listening to the master for trust the other day when we were making some backup stuff and you know we used a, 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 a baritone guitar we used a 12 string guitar a normal guitar we used so many different mm. types of things on that record we also used a thing called a bazooki which is something that was on insomnia which is not one of those instruments that you what know, is it it's it's kind of a middle eastern sounding okay. thing made out of a gourd and i got it for marty for his birthday and he liked it a lot it's kind of one of those weird sounds at the beginning of insomnia mm-hmm. um and, and i think insomnia kind of went way the wrong direction and that's kind of where some of the skirmishes happened between myself and the production team at the time because the directions were coming from over yonder, so to speak, from Bud Prager and management to Capitol telling Dan what to do. And, and um, you know, he was stuck between the dog and the fire hydrant. You know, he had to listen to them and, and he was unable to really, you know, do what I wanted him to and do. And what they were saying is to, for lack of a better term, make Megadeth more accessible. Yes, exactly. More That's why they took. Well, they took the points off of the logo. They said for us to start growing facial hair, and you know, David, I hate that. I, you know, what the logo? The thing? facial hair. I've never I, seen I don't it. mind it, but you know, I'm not a really big bearded dude. You know, mm-hmm. and David Ellison can't grow one. I don't think. I don't know that Kiko can. You know, Chris just cut his beard off, um, and you know, and and unless we find somebody who you know really, really is digging on that whole beard thing, it never really has been in our camp. Mm-hmm. I don't mind. Mind. Um, anyways, I don't want to get off on a big facial hair thing. <laughs> facial hair debate yeah. with Chris and Dave. Bearded brothers will be boycotting our shows. Yeah, with Dave. <laughs> yeah, right. Just another thing to throw on the fire. Yeah. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another question about being a guitar player and your band is so uh, obviously a two-guitar band, lots of harmonies, Mm. lots of trade-off souls and stuff. Is it... I'm not going to use the word hard because probably nothing is hard for you guitar-wise, but is it tricky to get that chemistry with somebody? Like you played with Broderick for eight years or mm. five years, and before that, you with Marty for ten years. Mm. When someone new comes in, is it a little bit of a, of a, of a sussing out process to get yeah. that, that chemistry down? Well, it's kind of like a, you know, having an, uh, a new 
I don't, I'm not going to use that metaphor because there's no way I, I'll be able to pull that off. Someone will turn in the ground on me. So let me refigure that. Um, having having a new guitar player, um, it, trust me, I, if we weren't recording, I would tell you what it was. I'm going to guess you're saying it's a new dick. But no, that's no, no, just, no, okay. no, 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 no. Okay, got it. All right. <laughs> Close, but no. Okay. Um, I think when you get a new guitar player in there, it, it's there, there's an excitement level because of the unknown, and there is the reward system when you guys start being able to synchronize stuff. It's very much like the, you know this thing, patting your where, head, where you can disassociate left, right, brain, and and you can um, be able to. Uh, take something that isn't in your wheelhouse and and grasp it right away because you know you're in the studio the talk, clock is ticking and someone says hey try you know um, juggling chainsaws right now real fast Dave and it's like oh okay I'll get right on that um, so when you have someone that has never played with somebody else never even rehearsed go right straight from Brazil to LA to Nashville you know they're um, that's a pretty daunting task mm. and I think that you know you have to have a bit of a, a psychiatry and in, in the way that you encourage people to just let them know because I mean as soon as you get out of your element and you're someplace away from home you're going to be homesick and every fiber inside of you is going to be crying to want to be home you know that you have to be there to do your gig but you don't want to be there and, and you're struggling with these emotions so to be able to have somebody who is clearly a fish out of water here know that this is going to be good for himself his future don't worry about the outside world completely detach yourself from reality right now and and let the gift god's given you flow freely through you that's a tall order Mm -hmm. you know if it's a guy you've been working with for a little while you can say hey you know what your wife's you know she's on the rag again or something you know (laughs) the kids they'll be okay just to do the damn solo okay would you yeah that kind of thing yeah yeah but when you have somebody new and and you're experiencing stuff and i think the great thing about that too is every time that you get a new relationship in your life you have another opportunity to do things right Mm -hmm. and and I don't think that, you know, where I'm in my life, I don't really have a lot of friends and I have tons of acquaintances, but I look at it like how, friend versus like, you know, I met some guy in the airport and uh, if I would say, hey, that guy's my friend, you know, mm-hmm. Willie Nelson. Uh, you know, right. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, he's my friend. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we took a picture together. Yeah. We're yeah, friends. Yeah. But that's part of the thing. There's been some bonding there because I remember when the uh, was it the Pacquiao Mayweather fight? For some reason, I text Kiko. He's like, yeah, I'm over at Dave's. We're watching the fight right now. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, tell Dave that, you know, yeah, 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 I know what you said. <laughs> I know what you said. But you guys are hanging out and like. Being buds. Yeah. I think that's the way it is with all of us right now. We're really enjoying um, just having that friendship and and playing. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, It's kind of like that new car (laughs) thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Smells good. Rides better. How could I have ever lived without this thing? (laughs) You know, and it's just a matter of us just doing the maintenance and taking care of things. And I think that, you know, probably one of the biggest things that ruins bands is outside influence. People... Uh, will take the main songwriter or the leader of the band and start uh, whittling away at their integrity and start helping them to forget what made them a good band. Sometimes the parts are interchangeable and, and sometimes you do need to make changes in your lineup so that the overall health of the group 
uh, stays healthy or, or improves, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times there's been a bass player in a band that's been the problem. Or you have, like, you know, in Spinal Tap, there's somebody already in the organization, you know. You have yeah. somebody's girlfriend go out and do a Linda McCartney, start playing keyboards or something like yeah. that, you know. Right. And those are the things that I think break bands up because you don't have that open line of communication with people because it's built on a premise, which is not being a serious, no-shit I only have one plan, no plan B approach to this career. Mm -hmm. Because if you're thinking like, you know, I'm going to try and make it, well, you, you've already failed because you're trying. You're not doing it. You're not going to make it. You have to program yourself the same way you did with your wrestling career. Mm -hmm. You're going to do it. Yeah, there's no option. Right. There's no back. No plan B. Right. What happens now? You mentioned that Chris is helping you guys out, uh, Chris Adler, drum-wise. Uh, what do you do if he's on the road with Lamb of God? Are you trying to find somebody else? Or you, you like him mm -hmm. so much, you, you will work around his schedule and act accordingly? Uh, it's a little bit of both. We like Chris so much that we work around his schedule and the dates that he's not available. We use uh, a young guy named Tony Loriano who played with Niall and, and okay. uh, Dima Borger and, and uh, Fear Factory. He was one of the guys that Chris had actually recommended. And and uh, I was just talking to somebody the other day and they were laughing, calling him Calves of Iron. You know, <laughs> and, and I do remember Tony has an uh, unrealistically giant calves. So now that he he said that I will always think of Tony with the calves. It always iron, pisses yeah. me off the guys that have those big calves. Yeah, because it's yeah. not a muscle you can ever build. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like building a thumb muscle. Yeah, he said those calves. It's just mm. like my God, those big big calves. Mm. What do you um, lyrically now? I mean, in a dystopia. I did not look it up because I wanted you to explain what it is. We know what a utopia is. Is, is it the opposite of that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, so. just, a, it's just a place that's off the bar. You know, um, there's, there, it's funny for us when we go into the theater and we watch movies, the ones that we usually like the most to fantasize about is, you know, uh, the world is hanging on by a fingernail and some guy that's just like you or me saves it all mm -hmm. and he gets the chick yeah. and the stupid father-in-law or the bitchy mother-in-law gets punched in the chops on the way to Las Vegas to the little blue chapel. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I loved uh, Planet of the Apes as a kid and 12 Monkeys I thought was really great in my uh, middle age and, and – um, Seeing like the new Planet of the Apes was great again. Uh, there, like Independence Day, watching you know Terminator, all the different versions of the future being just just everything is just like I said, foobar. Mm -hmm. And they've got this uh, um, word that completely describes that world. If utopia is everything great in the world, dystopia is everything not great. Did you make that up? No, it's okay. a real word. Actual word. And, yeah, and the funny thing, thanks, Jose. Thanks, Jose. The funny thing is that uh, salute. Cheers, man. Salute. Now, this is official Blood of Heroes. This is the Sarah. Yeah. Um, Dave Mustaine brand wine. Yeah. We'll have to talk yeah. about this in a second. Tastes good, man. It is good. Yeah. Is this is this something? We'll get back to Soviet second. Is this something that, are is there like a vineyard that you that you have a part of? Where is that? This is the last bottling of this, and uh, there's only a couple. Look at the legs on that thing. Uh, it's only got uh, a couple more cases to go, and it's all gone. Um, the uh, new bottling nice. that uh, our family just did was called Kingmaker, and it is a. Um, Monterey, and we did uh, one called Hook and Mouth before that, which was a super Tuscan. 
where is the vineyards located at? In Temecula, in California. Okay, so, so we were um, hanging and did the symphony interrupted thing a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and I was talking with my wife Pam about, you know, how do we do something to kind of have this adhesive effect between the two worlds colliding, the classical and metal world. And we thought, you know, hey, the wine would be a great way to do that because it's posh, plus my taste is very, you know, selective. And we went to this uh, vineyard and we picked a a line and uh, we finished the recipe ourselves and and made a bottling of this Cabernet Sauvignon uh, called Symphony Interrupted. And uh, Pam had done two pallets of it because we didn't know you know, what it was going to be like. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to be drinking this stuff the rest of my life if it wasn't <laughs> any good. Um, and poof, it was gone. So we knew we had stumbled onto something that was going to be fun for our family and, and for our legacy, for our children and our children. How children. do you make a, a recipe for wine? Well, there are certain different, uh, you know, um, each grape has a different uh, taste to it and acidity to it. The skin is different. The pulp inside of it's different. Where it comes from, uh, obviously, it has a lot to do with it too. The to- the ground, the topography, the uh, the minerals, the nutrients in the ground, the temperature of the ground at night, during the day, all year long, has a lot to do with the way that the roots are, the way that the sun hits the plant, what hour hmm. of the day the sugar gets the most in the grapes and then goes back into the stem. You know what what. It's almost like, you know, gorging and purging when you do yoga, how you, right. you, you get a good workout and then you stretch out. These grapes get this this uh, process where they're constantly in flux and growing and, and you get certain grapes that are picked at certain times of the year. And the difference in the time that they have for fermentation between when they uh, turn the grapes over and stuff like that is the difference between something having a really smooth finish like this. Mm-hmm. You know, this doesn't have that... Some wino just stuck his sock in my mouth kind of feeling, you know, after you've drank it. It's really, really a great tasting. Yeah, wine. I'm not a big uh, red wine fan, but this is very crisp. Mm. It doesn't leave that aftertaste that you no, have. It's a brilliant finish to it. And, you know, when we set out to do this again, you know, the, the very first time it was kind of more of a, let's see how it is. And then the second time we were definitely, we want to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And it's all based off of my personal taste, you know, if I like it. Like when we did the coffee stuff for Networth Coffee, we had originally started that off and, and gotten really involved in working with a charity down in Tijuana with the profits. And once the uh, the uh, ch- uh, the orphanage down there had a, a water well that had broken, they needed it to be replaced. So once that was done, we basically said, okay, we're, mm. we're done. We've done our our good and you know we're kind of going to move on with our life and and it's it, this i think has been much more fun because uh the coffee stuff is is really unique and interesting but there's just a, a, a totally different um circle of of people and the process of making this is just really mm. fascinating for it's us. interesting to me because that's kind of one of the things now is a lot of band related alcohols you know iron maiden's trooper beer and i know yeah but is it any good that's well the thing. i mean i'm not a big beer guy but mm-hmm. they, i know they sell trooper a lot was of good. it i tasted it i, thought it, was, good? I thought it was good right yeah. um i i also know of another band i won't say their name because i don't want to embarrass them but they got into the wine business and they uh had bought this wine really super cheap and and i think they ended up uh, doing a clearance sale for a dollar a bottle on the stuff. <laughs> that would be called a rot gut. Yeah, and you know, I mean, God, I can remember back when I was hurting for money, a dollar for a bottle of wine would have been you know, a deal. Good, <laughs> right? yeah, give me two. 
<laughs> but we're talking about about dystopia and what it means. And I, I know you always write lyrics based on what's kind of going on uh, in the in the world, and you have a lot of political opinions and that sort of thing. Did you write? the lyrics on this record based on some stuff that's going on now in the world yeah but not uh from the same perspective that people mistakenly think that you know my viewpoint of the world is because i don't think that the world's a bad place i, I think that it's a good place and you know there's some bad dudes in it and mm. and also you know people think that you know i have certain beliefs like i'm anti-gay i'm not like that I'm a racist. I'm not. I had a black tech for ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, just crazy, crazy things that they say that they have no idea who or what I am. And and the, I think probably the saddest thing is when people start saying, you know, what political affiliation I have. You know, I like yourself. You know, answer to a different set of angels. So mm-hmm. while I'm here, I try and you know pick the lesser of two evils so i've voted democrat i voted republican and there's been times i've completely abstained because i just couldn't do it either way Mm -hmm. so um as far as politics and writing and stuff like that i think it's more about you know what my role is here as a person am i gonna leave a reputation or am i gonna leave character behind Mm -hmm. you know am i gonna uh, do something that really makes something good for somebody or am i gonna be one of those guys where they they, you know it's like what that saying is some people um uh clap when uh you enter a room and sometimes they clap when you leave i can't remember how it was this was close enough yeah something like that I think for me, I always think back to making this polit- political stance because they always they had you doing so much of the rock the vote mm-hmm. in MTV, like 91, 92. Mm-hmm. And of course, B-Cell is very political. So you've always kind of had that vibe to the mm-hmm. band. And that's, you know, you got to write about something. You yeah. can't write about dragons and rainbows. You you can if that's what you, if that's your gig. Cause your we, deal. We, yeah, we've had, and, and you know, he did it really well. But that um, was his thing. That right. was his thing. The thing with uh, Megadeth, we've done a couple songs. Uh, actually, we did have a song with the dragon. In, in uh, Five Magics, believe it or not. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> look out. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that lyrically, if you if you challenge yourself as a writer and you don't write the same thing over and over, I mean, how many times has some of our favorite rock bands written a song about sex or, mm-hmm. you know... And if you're going to write about sex and it's cleverly done, cool. But if mm. it's just you know action satisfaction, you're mm. like, oh, give me a break. Yeah, and, and it's usually something that isn't clever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something where, um, you know, you, you're listening to it and you're like, well, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like who would have ever known Cindy Lauper's Shebop song was about masturbation? <laughs> right. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah I, and I was still me. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. How did we not pick that up? Yeah, right. Well, guess because we're not girls. <laughs> but I digress. Um, I think that when you write Right, lyrics, uh, you have uh, an important decision to make. What am I going to impart on the listener? Um, is it just something that's going by and passing because the music is that great? You just need something to kind of distract them a little bit? Is the music the plate and the lyrics the meal? Mm-hmm. Or is it a little bit of both? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that because the, for me, I, I made the terrible mistake in the beginning of writing music and then putting lyrics to it. The music's always way complicated, way more complicated than most people's 
music would be when they play guitar and sing at the same time they usually drop it down a gear during the verses mm -hmm, right and then make it really big during the chorus and then during the solo section is where they'll have a really get down progressive riff or something like that you know and that's usually the way that it goes a great intro a great reintro, bridge part something like that and um you know for us though i i write the song and the song sings the song and then it's like okay well how do you rhyme with orange you know <laughs> So yeah, there used to be a band in Canada called Rhymes with Orange. No, get yeah, out. there no, was in the mid nineties because nothing rhymes with orange, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing does. But I mean, and that's and that's it's funny you're talking about lyrics. I, I, you'll appreciate this because I saw on Instagram when you guys went recently to Bon Scott's mm. grave in Perth. Mm. So my son comes home and you know he's kind of he's he's laughing about something. He's really into classic rock stuff. And he's telling me, he's, Dad, I heard this song today. And it was called Big Balls. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I remember, I was like, you know what? When I was 12, I had the exact same thing. You're laughing. Hey, we've got big balls. And then, of course, he had to play it for my daughters. So that's the big song around my house mm. is they're all laughing about yeah. big balls. Yeah. That lasts forever. That's being a kid. Though. That's being a young boy. You know, Pam was talking about how, how stoked she was that Justice was a real, you know, get down dirty you know scabby messed up haired smelly little boy so that you know he grew up like a real like like a real boy you know going outside and you know getting grass stains and you know having fun and yeah. you know uh versus some of these kids you know where their parents are afraid if they go outside they're gonna you know get some kind of pesticide poisoning from rolling around on the grass or some yeah. crap like that well i was proud of him too because you know in this day and age and music is music and every generation will have theirs but when it's one direction and justin bieber and he came home singing big balls i was like hey, yeah that's my, boy. that's my boy that's my boy here's another thing i was going to bring up with you because we were over in europe at the same time mm. when the attacks happened in paris mm. is that something like did you did you think that that was well, what did you feel about that, being over in Europe at that point in time? You know, it's really hard to answer this stuff because part of me wants to be really defiant and say stuff. And, and, and the other part of me is very cautious because, you know, as an entourage, when we go into a city, there's so many other people whose lives are affected. That's what I mean, right. So uh, you're talking not only the other three band members, but the crew members, the uh, venue staff, and all the fans, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, part of me uh, is like, okay, well, how do you make the most educated statement that you can possibly make to anybody trying to take away your freedom or your, your security? Go about your life. Mm -hmm. You know, because um, I believe that my time is already decided. So whether, you know, I die because somebody dropped a bologna sandwich out of a 747 and, you know, it killed me because it, you know, it halved me from skull to, you know, heel with some Oscar Mayer. I don't know. <laughs> How fitting. Mustaine dies by bologna sandwich that's right. slicing. That's right. Cut him right in half. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what I was thinking, too, because we actually were in the Netherlands when it happened, and we had a gig in Paris mm -hmm. one week later to the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people were, should we quit? And I was like, you know what? We're playing the show. I don't care if two people show up, because you can't let that stop you. Mm -hmm. It's it's scary, but like you said, you can't allow that mm -hmm. to affect you to where you just stop being you. Mm -hmm. And see, the problem is, is that a lot of people won't recognize that as being one of the few ways that we can truly defeat this mm -hmm. is by going about our lives and um, 
you know, because what is terror? They make us freeze in fear, and, and we stop living our lives the way that we live them. And as far as, you know, I have a little bit of some French blood in me. France, to me, has always been about art, theater, fashion, mm-hmm. music. And for Paris to not be able to have art and theater and fashion and music would be uh, not only a national, but almost a global atrocity. That's you know? what France is known for and Paris is known for is that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a note down here earlier. You mentioned about, um, about your mother-in-law. Have you seen the movie I'll Be Me, Glenn Campbell? No, but I've heard Have you about, heard about it. it? I've heard about it, yeah. It's, it's amazing. I just had to bring this up just quickly because... He's suffering from Alzheimer's. Yeah, I heard really But bad. he goes on tour. Mm-hmm. And people know what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. the last thing he still retains is his ability to play guitar, play guitar and sing. Yeah. Yeah. So ingrained in his system. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, He's a great player, too. Oh, my goodness. I never knew. You know, you never think about guys like that, you know, like you mentioned Willie Nelson before and stuff, because we were such rock guys and metal mm-hmm. guys. Yeah. When you watch those guys just whip out some solos, it was incredible. Yeah, he was one of the main go-to guys in, in uh, Nashville for, for a very long time. And I think in L.A., too. I don't know how long. I think I think he did a stint doing session work in L.A., too. But um, I remember when I was a kid, he used to have a TV show. And, and you know, back then there wasn't, you know, 300 stations of mm-hmm. television to choose from. So at night when there was... <clears throat> television programs you know as a family you'd get around the boob tube and you'd watch it and i remember just seeing him play of course his hair never looked real to me but (laughs) he's always perfectly his playing was unbelievable he and a guy named roy clark at the time um i thought was was just an amazing country yeah buck owens and roy Roy Clark. clark There's a lot of those guys that were like that because even like Travis Tritt now or what's the cat's name? He's on uh, he's on American Idol. Keith, uh, Keith is it Keith Urban? Oh, uh, Keith Urban is one. On, on, you know, Keith was in a metal band. Really? I met him one time. This is a really funny story for all you Keith Urban fans. <laughs> uh, I don't know that you're listening, but um, the guy that had uh, engineered our first two records, named Jeff Balding, was working on something for me, and I'd come into Nashville to come and see him, and he goes. Hey Dave, talks like this, right? He goes, man, I'm in the studio over here at Sound Kitchen, and I got this little young guy. He's Australian, and he's from a metal band, and he's gonna go country. And I went, that'll never work. <laughs> and look at him now; he's a massive superstar. So, you know. how was that for you? Uh, maybe doing this for so long and being such a. I mean, you know, I'll say this, and you're gonna say, "Oh, shut up!" But being a legendary uh, figure in the world of of, of, of rock and roll, what was that? Rock and roll, legendary. Okay, I mean, that you, Just make sure you iconic. That right. <laughs> I won't <laughs> say shut up to that. <laughs> is, is it? Um, I mean, I get this now. I, I can't believe that I'm at this stage. But like you, have been doing wrestling, wrestling for so long that there's a lot of kids that are like, mm. oh "My God, you're my you're favorite." A legend, yeah. You know, how do you feel when you when you get that sort of uh, accolades? Like a survivor. Hmm. Which is uh, something really great because, you know, uh, it's like they say in, in, in uh, the 12-step thing where they say we're like people who have survived a shipwreck. We generally would not mix. I think there's a uh, common thread that runs with people who are artists like us who become successful because a lot of us really are shy, but you give us the microphone and something turns on. Mm-hmm. But when the microphone isn't on, we go back to being you know a little bit introverted, kind of shy, goofing around, normal kind of guys. And we have our friendships with people that are normal kind of guys. And it's really difficult when you're in a room with your bros 
you know, mm -hmm. and someone comes in and they want to tell you how much of a difference you've made in your life because, you know, we all feed on, on uh, that, you know, be, being accepted, you know, ha having, you know, that encouragement and stuff like that. And, you know, the second that the guy leaves the room, all your friends are going to go, you suck, you're an <laughs> asshole, that, how much you pay that guy, you know, that kind <laughs> right, of stuff. Right, right, right. So, but yeah, but that's it's it's something to me that, like you said, survivor. That's a good. Uh, mm -hmm. it's been, I was going to ask this before, and I haven't asked you. We just a couple more questions before we wrap up. When you guys did the the first big four, you guys had a, a dinner mm -hmm. the first night, just mm -hmm. band dudes. Mm -hmm. But was that a, how was that? Just being around all all the other survivors. It was it was very uh, laid back, and I thought it was very enjoyable. Trujillo was out front greeting everybody when we walked in the door, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. And he hugged me, which was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't startling by any means. It didn't, didn't shock me or anything like that, but it was just a great way to start things. Mm -hmm. And um, when the night kind of rolled around to about it's time for Dave to go home time, um, I decided I decided I should probably leave, and and I guess those guys roared into the night. The rest of my band, bunch of crew guys, and they just had a great time. And and I think that the big four thing that we did, it was uh, really important. It was necessary for a, a lot of different reasons. You know, if it happens again, that would be great. If it doesn't, the people who got to see it got to see something really remarkable. Um, am I opposed to doing it? You know, it, it would have to be it would have to be the right thing. I, I think that you know. Um, Megadeth is at a place right now where we're successful to a degree where we would be happy continuing to do what we do on our own. So, you know, if we're going to do another Big Four thing, I would want it to be something where we walk away as content as Metallica does from something mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not Metallica and three other dudes. Right, right, right. You know. I think just uh, and whether it happens again or not, it doesn't really matter. It happened. It did. And it was very monumental mm -hmm. for. You know, for rock and roll, for heavy metal, and for the fans. Fans, mm. fans, like even this, this Guns N' Roses quasi reunion, whatever it is, it's people like that stuff. They, they enjoy the feeling of like, they did it. This yeah. is great, you know? Yeah. And I think, like you said, people got what they wanted to see, and mm. you can always have that memory, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I wish Adler was doing it. I just think that, you know, just for, for just cherry on top of the Sunday, mm -hmm. you know, because he's not gone he's not deceased no i agree I, and i think that i don't know if izzy's doing it or not but if if slash and axel and duff are going to be doing this go all the way boys i love slash he's one of my favorite guitar players and just a, a wonderful person i'm sure you probably know him Great really guy. well too yeah. yeah and i love the concept that you guys actually jammed together and wrote some tunes together at some yeah point. he was supposed to be joining megadeth and you know really fun, yeah well ellison was hammering him for a while i live with dave and he would come over and and the three of us would um, we would take vitamins at night. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Special and, almonds. Yes. And so we had a lot of times where we would, uh, you know, hang out and, and, and joke around and, and stuff. And I had no idea, but Ellison had been talking to him, you know, the whole time about joining me. I think he was really close, too. This really? Is, this is before Marty came in, yeah. So about 89 or so? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Now, Slash had a really great blues flair, mm -hmm. which I think probably would have worked really well in Megadeth, but that's kind of my shtick, the mm -hmm. pentatonic scale stuff. So I don't know how well that would have worked having two predominantly blues players playing in a band. It would probably be a little bit more like Thin Lizzy mm -hmm. than like how Megadeth is right you now. You want the shredder and you're the pentatonic bluesy guy. Not um, that you can't shred too. No, yeah, and I understand. Thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the 
the exotic scales, um, it, it's kind of like, you know, peanut butter to the jelly. Mm-hmm. You know, they complement each other. The fire, the ice, the love, the hate, you know, good, the bad, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think uh, is this is is this an urban myth too? Is it true that you asked Dime to join at one point? Did um, that's pretty crazy too. Yeah, and uh, it was very close to being done too. And to think if I would have made his phone call one phone call sooner, it would have been Daryl and Vinnie Paul in Megadeth. Wow! Here's what happened. So I call Nick Mintz and I hire him. Call it. Daryl and I said, "Hey man, I want you to join my band." He goes, "Can I bring my brother?" It's like, uh, I, I don't care who's your brother. And he goes, "My brother plays drums." And I said, "Well, we just hired a drummer. I ain't coming." I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and that was the, basically the whole conversation. <laughs> yeah. And and if I didn't have Nick Manza at the band, and he would have said, "Can I bring my brother?" And I would have said. Sure. Yeah, give it a try. Yeah. yeah. Then you know what? Who knows what would happen? Yeah. You know. Would you think of him as a player? I mean, obviously. I, mean, I thought he was really, really talented. I think that um, a lot of people uh, they kind of misuse the Wang Bar a lot. I think Daryl used it properly, and I think he had some really um, mind blowing uh, speed and technique. His picking was very clean. I think that he uh, swept and arpeggiated very well. That's not something I do very well. I don't sweep at all and I don't arpeggiate very well. So uh, he had a lot of things that I wish I could do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that um, the tone he had uh, was very interesting too because he used. Um, a very unorthodox metal head. So he used Randalls, which aren't really known mm-hmm. for being metal. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Mentioned his name earlier. I just wanted to ask quickly uh, about Gar Samuelson. Seems kind of like one of the forgotten guys in the history of, of metal as far as you mentioned how great of a drummer he was. Do you feel that? Uh, do you think that he was uh, one of your favorite drummers you've ever played with? Favorite I've ever played with. Um, Gar was a great person. It was hard to play with him. In what way? Uh, run away. He, uh, we didn't play to a click at the time, and there was so much um, partying going on that you know it was kind of like you see the clowns in the circus with the wheels that are shaped like eggs instead of circles. It was faster and slower and faster and slower and faster, you know, and um, I loved how he played. It just sometimes the songs would be so mind-numbingly fast that um, they just, you know, and people thought that's how we normally played. And it's just because, you know, somebody met us and at the wrong time did some (laughs) of the wrong stuff to the wrong person. (laughs) So... But I loved Gar. I think that, you know, when people ask me if I have any regrets, one of my main regrets is not saying goodbye to him because, um, you know, we uh, didn't talk much before he passed away. He mm-hmm. was living in Florida. I lived in L.A. And, you know, not that we didn't have a uh, friendship because, you know, we'd, we'd seen each other several times after, you know, we'd parted ways. But, uh, you know, it's just sad when somebody that you know that you love and you care about, they're just gone. Mm-hmm. 
you know. And casualties so, of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, it's been so many lately. Yeah, I know. Within two weeks. Uh, Dystopia is the record, and it's hard to, to always answer this. Do you have a track that stands out for you? I have two. I, I like uh, The Threat is Real. I Love think The one. Threat is Real has a really cool solo breakdown because it's a weird time signature again. You know what I love about that song, too, is your, vo- your voice. Just the way you sing with that snare. You're like, can't close the door. Like, just say you say <laughs> door. I just, I like it. <laughs> yeah, just grunt. You always, you always, you have a really good habit of, of hitting certain words and it just sounds really like it just I had my puppy chow that morning <laughs> I was ready to go I was ready to go yeah it's good man thanks the other song that I like is uh, Poisonous Shadows I think because it's so um, different mm-hmm. from you know I mean it totally has the character that embodies everything that's Megadeth you know fast riffing heavy drums a lot of melody and stuff like that but the story that it takes the listener on the journey uh, is, is much different than anything we've ever done before because it starts off one way, it builds it, and, and it, it, it crescendos in the middle and then it goes back into the same um, building concept where it just drops off and you have this really dark, almost Hitchcockian approach towards the end of the song with this Chopin-esque <laughs> piano part at the end where you know you, you, you've seen the main character attacked and the antagonist is like all of a sudden playing the piano <laughs> it's like what the hell from? is this yeah, you know yeah. really really unexpected and, and that was one of the other things that that um, I loved about your friend Kiko you know how talented he was because he just got on the piano and just played it like nobody's business mm-hmm. just 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 play it, it was a funny thing we were in japan and i went into his room for some reason i look on his bed and i see this long silver tube and i'm like oh my god is that a flute <laughs> he's in there shredding on a flute and funny thing was right before we did the record we were looking at cover songs to cover and you know of course we did uh, foreign policy by fear, fear and, yeah. and melt the ice away by uh, budgie but one of the songs we talked about doing was uh some jethro tull stuff like oh yeah uh you know aqualung is a great song but we we had we both chris adler's band and my band were ma- managed by this guy named larry i'll leave his last name off but he had really bad cross eyes <laughs> and we were gonna instead of doing cross-eyed mary we we're gonna call it cross-eyed larry <laughs> I don't know that I would have gotten any publishing off that for changing the lyrics <laughs> right. or anything like that, but it, it would certainly would have, would have made me feel a hell of a lot better. <laughs> great lineup, and it's a great new record, and it's great talking to you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you, bro. You're welcome. All right, thanks to Dave Mustaine. Great guy. Always been, uh, always been a treat to me, and I'm not kidding when I say this. The new Megadeth album, Dystopia, is one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite Megadeth record since Rust in Peace. The opening track, The Threat is Real, Dystopia itself, uh, Fatal Illusion, uh, Bullet to the Brain, so much uh, riffage maximus as I said to Slash, and the solos are crazy. I love the new lineup. Kiko Larrero from Angra, huge fan of his for years. Lamb of God, Chris Adler on the drums. He's a monster. As you heard Dave said, uh, Chris is not in Megadeth per se. He's just helping them out. He's still in Lamb of God, but hopefully he can play as many shows with, with Megadeth as possible. Megadeth's tour starts February 20 in Dallas, Texas, and Chris will do as many shows as he can. Kiko will be there for all of them. Same with Ellison. But like I said, do yourself a favor and buy Dystopia. Okay, you can get it on Amazon. Use the TIG Amazon links. You can support Megadeth and this show in one fell swoop. All right, just go to podcast1.com. 
Click on the Killer Deals button at the top right-hand corner of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for the USA, the UK, the Canada A. Every time you use the Talk is Jericho Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage of this show to help us cover production costs. You can buy just about anything you want on Amazon. Use the Talk is Jericho Amazon links. They won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees or extra charges. Just go to podcast1.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. All my sponsors are on there as well. So you have easy access to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho and the new DDP Yoga Now app to betdsi.com and to Solar World. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines. They're coming up next. I want you to stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. And on Friday, we got this special, much-anticipated crew cast. And what the crew cast is, it's, it's Dolph Ziggler and Bubba Ray Dudley talking about their favorite band, Motley Crue. Motley Crue, RIP, they're done. They've uh, rolled up the carpets. But Dolph and Bubba are going to be telling us all about their Motley Crue uh, experiences and feelings. It's the Crew Cast, the first ever Crew Cast this Friday. So we'll see you then. Good boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcast podcastone.com.